Welcome to Mammograms and Me from metro.co.uk. This is a new podcast series all about my campaign to find the million missing mammograms and the thousands of women walking around with undiagnosed breast cancer. Hosted by me, Dawn Butler, I was first elected in 2005 as the MP for Brent and I launched the hashtag Find the Million campaign with metro.co.uk in 2022 because after my own diagnosis, I was shocked to find out that there was between 8,000 and 10,000 women walking around with breast cancer and they just didn't know it. Each week, I'll be speaking to experts, doctors and people with a deep understanding of breast cancer and some people who are still on their journey. I'll be discussing their experiences, the inside story and what we can all look out for. So today <laughs> I'm speaking to the wonderful Victoria Ekonoe. Ekonoi. Ekonoi, make sure I said that right. <laughs> I had to give her a little look there just to make sure I got that right. She's an actress, best known for playing Angie in Coronation Street. You had quite a dramatic storyline, if I remember. Yes, yeah. She had postnatal uh, depression. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. And her work in the Royals, Almost Never, and Doctors. Yes. And she's also an amazing singer that's not... Uh, often talked about. Thank you. <laughs> and she's a patron for Prevent Breast Cancer, a charity all about funding research to prevent breast cancer in future generations. And today we're going to be talking to Victoria about your own breast cancer journey. Mm-hmm. So Victoria, how are you today? I'm actually really good. Yeah. I'm tired. I think that I was saying before, I think that being tired is just kind of the prerequisite to all of this. You just tired all the time and then you get good days where you peak and you can feel like a superhero again this is it isn't it yeah so I mean (laughs) what happened how how did you discover your breast cancer so my son Theo was six months old I was breastfeeding and I know that you know a lot of women struggle to breastfeed so I feel like I was very lucky and it saved me because I used to produce so much milk the lump kind of it was pushed to the surface wow and I could feel it Wow. Like really like it was like a frozen pea or a, like frozen chickpea. Wow. And, Did uh, it hurt? Was it hurting? No. So it's just, no. you just saw the lump yeah. and felt it. Yeah. And um, it was really alarming. And I think if I'm completely honest, because I'm the fifth person in my family to develop breast cancer now. Wow. Um, Who are the five in your family? My mum. Uh, her sister is she recovered yes okay great. alive and kicking fantastic candy is a is a world on her own she's just amazing oh, brilliant. <laughs> um but yeah my mom and her sister and their auntie and their cousin so i mean it's it's been a lot so did you family. talk about breast cancer in your family yes because my mom is very open and okay. literally has been my rock and in the sense of being so a So she's mom. not one of those West Indian mothers who just <laughs> no. goes to the hospital. No, I know, exactly. Has an operation or has a baby and comes with the whole baby and doesn't tell mm-hmm, you anything. Mm-hmm. So she actually was very open and spoken about it. She was eventually. Right. So the thing with my mum, and I think I got that from her, is that she didn't tell anybody until she was going in for the surgery. Right. But once that point came, then she was very open about it. Okay. She didn't tell people initially because she didn't want to worry anybody. And I was the same. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell my partner at the time because his mum had just been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Wow. And I just didn't want to worry him. Yes. She's amazing too. Because ovarian cancer is a 
one of those silent killers. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. thank goodness she's yeah. okay. And it's it was the BRCA2, oh, wow. uh, which is in her family, which sadly took her sister wow. literally the year before. So it's wow. been wow. quite heavy yeah. for the whole family for the last two years. And so I know that... how long did you keep it secret from your partner? Um, it would have been just under two months right. because when I first found the lump... Um, it was literally Sorry, so who did you confide in did you confide initially in? nobody mm-hmm. um initially nobody mm-hmm. because I went because I just didn't want to worry anyone and I thought mm-hmm. you know what I could go and get an ultrasound mm-hmm. and it could turn out to be nothing and then no one needed worry for mm-hmm. for any reason mm-hmm. so I went and had it done and <laughs> in hindsight I guess it wouldn't have made a difference because as soon as they said no we think it's absolutely fine don't worry about it I was like how can I not worry about this? And, you know, my baby's in my arms. Mm. And and I know it sounds, I don't know, I, it just made no sense to be even having to contemplate life and death at the same time. Like I've got my baby mm, and I've seen this lump and I'm like, Did I can't. you think you were going to die? Uh, it crossed my mind a few times, mm. especially, especially given the family history. Mm. Um, and I know my mum had survived and my auntie had survived. But I have sickle cell too. Wow. And they don't. And I understand how so that sickle can... cell for people listening mm-hmm. is a blood disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where the instead of blood being like circular sickle, and flat, like it's yours, a sickle it's, shape. Yeah. Like a crescent moon kind of yeah. thing. And it, two things really it, it doesn't flow very well in the veins, which can cause mm. blood clots, which leads to multiple organ failure or amputations or stroke. Mm. But also when you do bleed, it's uh, it can be quite <laughs> extensive bleeding because it can't clot properly on the mm. outside of the body. And so when actually, just to kind of jump forward, when I did have my surgery, I had to have a full body blood exchange oh, before wow. the surgery so that I'd make it through the surgery. So I knew the complications of sickle cell. I didn't know that was going to happen, but I knew that that But also, did scary. the doctors, because you live in France, mm-hmm. They will not have a clue about no. sickle cell. I, I mean, it's such my a dangerous mm-hmm. uh, thing because mm-hmm. sickle, cell, sickle cell can be crippling. It can be in crippling pain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a scary thought too. I mean, I thankfully now find and found an amazing hematologist and she's just blowing my mind at how attentive she's been and how brilliant she is, but she was a hard find. We've been wow. there a while. Imagine. And my doctor in Manchester is has reached out to different doctors in Nice, where we are, to right. try to find somebody. It's a very underrepresented condition. People yeah. don't really know a lot about it. And so it was a big factor for me when it came to moving to another country. But I but I have my my biannual checks right. with my team in Manchester. Right. And then anything that happens in, in France, usually I can manage at home. Right. But when it came to me finding the lump... Um, so who told you you were clear? Who told you it's nothing to worry about? Uh, when I went for the first ultrasound, it was I went for a private ultrasound and they said I was fine. Was that in France or in the UK? In France. Okay. And then I just under, that was like eight, nine days later, booked myself in for another one because... So why? Why did you not, why did you not get the, get the news mm. that you're fine mm-hmm. and just take that and run and be like, yep, yeah, I'm good. I feel fine. What made you book yourself another appointment with somebody else? I think it's a mixture of things. I'm a patron of Prevent Breast Cancer, as you said, and 
there's so much breast cancer in my family and you know the the fundraising we do and the speeches I've given and and all of that I think it'd be really hypocritical of me to say advocate for yourself and then to not advocate for myself and I, I and I just thought it doesn't feel right I don't feel right and I've had lumps in my breast before which uh-huh. have been benign fibroadenomas uh-huh. oh, I can never say this word fibroadenomas uh-huh. and nothing to worry about but it felt different and I think that's the key is knowing what your normal is because those uh-huh. lumps are still there they've never become cancerous they're, they're, there's no problem yeah. with them but then this development was so alarming because of how hard the lump was. And I mean, it got to a point where I didn't even have to go looking for it. When my breast filled in the lump, you could just see it. You could see the lump. Yeah. And so I, I just thought, you know, it's just in my nature to double check, triple check. And I thought, how can I not do it with this? So I just went and I got a a second ultrasound and they, again, said that they thought I was fine, but they thought what they could see was small, maybe blockages due to milk ducts being blocked and to massage the breast as I'm breastfeeding and mainly feed on the left side, which is where I was feeling the lump, but they weren't concerned. So I, at that point was like, okay, okay, they can't both be wrong. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is the case. And I've never had a baby before. So I've never breastfed Mm. before. And I know that there are a lot of changes within the breast when it comes to when you just had a baby, Mm. which is what most moms would assume anyway. Um, So I had just booked a job, um, Death in Paradise. So I flew out to Guadalupe with my mom and my son. And I remember being on set day four and finding another lump. So that's three lumps. Two. Two Two lumps. but yeah, so literally within probably about half an inch away from yeah. the first one, but very definitely two separate lumps. Right. And I just was like, <laughs> really? Wow. Um, and then that was it for me. I, I was kind of like a woman on a mission. There was no way I could let this go because if even if this is something that's just to do with the breastfeeding, surely this this is something that I would know about then. Yeah, because it's really weird because lumps just don't appear no. like overnight. Mm-mm. You know, breast cancer, as we've heard on other episodes mm-hmm. of the podcast, mm-hmm. takes a really takes yeah. years yeah. to build and mm-hmm. develop and to present. Mm-hmm. So to have another lump, mm-hmm. did they miss something? Honestly, it's still a question that I ask myself now. Like I don't understand how that happened. Obviously, they couldn't do a mammogram because I was breastfeeding and you can't do that whilst your breasts are filled with milk. So that, which is why initially with that second ultrasound, they said to me, keep breastfeeding until your son is one and then wait a month, let the milk dry up, come back. We'll do a mammogram to be sure. And I was like, that's a really, really important point Mm -hmm. because I call it squashing Mm -hmm. because, you know, when you go for a mammogram, they basically squash your boobs. It's not painful squash it's just uncomfortable it's uncomfortable so when you're breastfeeding they can't do that no. because because your breasts are full of milk and and, the, and milk. it's so there's no clarity on the image yeah it's just loads of milk yeah. doing its thing and yeah probably not be good for the milk either to be well it's 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 more it's more the what they see it wouldn't be clear enough for them to determine it's white what it against is. White. Exactly, exactly. So they'd say, they said to me, wait until your son is one. So that would have been another five months and then wait another month so the milk can dry up. So in total, they wanted me to wait six months to go back for a mammogram for them to be certain. And I was just in my mind. all in one breast. All in the left. Right. All in the left. Nothing in the right. Um, Mine was a left breast too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Am I, I mean, I, I think about it all the time that that should have really been the point, the normal point to have gone, okay, fair enough. That you would do and and, mm. and and anybody would do because a second opinion is, you know, sometimes they say, you know, just go for a second opinion if you're yeah. unsure. But me finding, I genuinely feel it saved me. I feel like VO and breastfeeding and being body aware as well, which mm. I think is in part due to the sickle cell. I have to mm. be constantly mm. aware of little changes in my body because there's so many implications of having mm. the condition that when I found that, I remember I had to take myself away um, off set just so I can just have a minute and just like to rattle my you head. You found it on set? On set. Just, just like, because we're waiting to go on to set. We're all in costume, ready, mic took yeah. and everything. And I was like, hang on, that's not, and I'm like, like this. And I was like, can I just have a minute? And I went off and felt and properly felt. And I'm like, that's a separate lump. Oh my goodness. And I just didn't know what to do. Mm. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I just remember thinking, right, you're here with your son and your mom. You've got a job to do. Not You can do nothing right now about this. Get the job done, get home, get it checked. So mm. I just had to switch it off and finished and got back. And we flew back to Manchester to visit my partner's mom. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there and seeing my partner and my son and his mom. And I just, in my mind, like, how? what will he do if he loses us both? Wow. And I know that, I don't know it sounds dramatic because there was no way of knowing that was going to happen, but it was a reality I had to understand could, could be. Of course, of course. So I... When you think you've got cancer, you think about dying. Yeah. It's just the next step. It, it, it happens to so many people. Yeah. Why not me? Why would yeah. I be special and be spared? And, you, and you know, so I told him that night because I hadn't up until that point. Wow. And I said, I'm going to go see my GP. And I made an appointment the next day. I was seen two days later because she's wonderful, my GP. Mm. Um, and it's really hard to get appointments, as everybody knows. But because I've had, because of my sickle cell, she's always been like, mm. if there's anything, you let us know mm. straight away. And I was seen two days later and she got me into the system. It's called the One Stop Breast Clinic. Right. If you're symptomatic uh, at the time, I don't know if it's still the same, but if you're symptomatic, you're seen within two weeks at the hospital and they do everything that you could need doing. So I was there for four and a half hours and they did an ultrasound, a needle test in my armpit, which was done because when I got there and they examined me, they found a lump in my armpit. Um, uh, I had a mammogram. So that's your lymph nodes. Yes. Wow. And I had a, a mammogram and a biopsy in both So lumps. you had a mammogram? That, that At that point. So they did. There was work. like, we, it's at this point, we're yeah. just going to do everything. Right. We're going right. to do everything. And right. I'd stopped mm-hmm. breastfeeding as soon as I, when I got back from, when I found that second lump mm. when I was in uh, Guadeloupe, um, I stopped breastfeeding as soon as we got back to my house. Right. Uh, and, and had expressed as much as I could and then just stopped. Because right. I was like, if this helps in any way for them to see what they need to see, I'll do it. Right. He's had six months. I'm so lucky. Yeah. Almost seven. Yeah. He's thriving. And if this is the difference between me living and dying, then I I just have to stop as much as I loved our moments like that. I I just had to make that decision. And so it hadn't been a full month, but it was enough for them Mm. to see. Plus they did the biopsies, plus the needle test. And this was October 13th, 2021. Um, They 
consultant called me back into the room and said, I'll be honest, I, I'm not happy with what I'm seeing, but we want to get everything sent off. So can you come back in a week and can you bring somebody with you? It's always like I've mm. heard that time and time mm. again, mm. time and time mm. again. Mm. And I just knew. I just knew. I remember I was crying as they were doing the mammogram because I just, I, I, there was just something. Did it hurt? Yeah, mammograms mm. are not fun. Yeah, and, I think when you've got something as well, yeah. like it hurts it's, it's a little bit. They're you don't not, want to put people off. Yeah, I was just going to find say, the million missing mammograms. No. I want them to go for it. Oh my God, please oh, no. go. Please mm. go. I, I can't stress enough that catching it as soon as you can yeah. is literally the best chance you've got of, of surviving. Of surviving. Yeah. And it's why, Yeah, you know, because I, I, we caught it so early. Um, yeah, and I, I came back the next week and with my partner and I remember... I, I just knew. I just knew. And I knew that he felt the complete opposite. He was convinced that it was going to be something just to do with the breastfeeding mm-hmm. because that's what it often is. Mm. Um, and also I think hoped that it was nothing. And I just remember sitting next to him and she came in the room and I could tell by her face as well. I'm always like watching people's <laughs> reactions constantly <laughs> and I could tell, I could tell. And she came in and she was kind of talking about other things and she couldn't really look me in the eye. And she was like, okay, so I'm not going to beat around the bush. Just Johnny, my Just partner. Okay. And we're holding hands. And she's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. And I felt him just tense next to me because mm. he was really not expecting it especially with what was going on with his mom. And he'd mm. lost his auntie the year before to breast oh. cancer. And it was just like, I can't move on. Mm. And then we discussed my options from that point. Right. So if you hadn't been your own advocate, and that's mm. a serious advocacy. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about three, <laughs> yeah. three people telling you not to worry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you felt, no, something's not right. I mean, that's... That is serious. That is serious advocacy in regards to everybody listening. As you said, know your body. Mm, absolutely. Know what's right for you. Mm-hmm. Know if something feels off. Mm-hmm. Look at your boobs. Yes. In the mirror. Know what it looks like. Because I think that's what it is as well. I've I've spoken to um, so many people, but the the common thing that comes back is either they don't know how to check or if they do, they don't really know what they're looking for. Yeah. And I said, ultimately, if you, and, and also it's the frequency because mm. that's like a big, a big, big thing for me is if they are checking, they're checking every day in the shower and they feel mm. really great mm. about the fact that they're checking every day mm. in the shower. But if I don't see you mm. for a month, then I notice that your hair's grown. Mm. Whereas if I see you every day, I'm not really noticing that growth. Mm. And mm. that's basically what it is. So it needs to be once a month and mm. it needs to not be when you're on your period if you're still having periods. Mm. It needs to be, say, at the end, at a week after or something mm. and not in your cycle on, on mm. when you're on your period. And then if you find whatever your normal is, you could have three lumps in one mm. breast, have had them for years, had them checked. There's no mm. nothing to worry about, which is the case for me. I have two, two on the right. But as soon as you feel something that is different, you know that's not your normal Mm. and you just have to go straight in. Mm. And the thing is, it's been amazing being so open about everything that's happened. I've had so many people contact me and saying that they've checked and they've found things Mm. and this, this and this, which is amazing. But what is also really, really lovely is I've had people tell me that they've checked a lump that has been making them insane with worry Mm. for so long Mm. and it's turned out to be nothing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so then it's the stress is gone. It's better to know. Exactly. So it's not always going to hear bad yeah, news. Yeah. It's going to take control yeah. of your life and That's of right. your health. And and it and it's being body aware, not just breast aware. It's in general. And Did it's you meant always to. love your body? I had moments. I guess there I had my insecurities, mm-hmm. I think, like everybody. I'm always, I've always been very in touch with my body, as in I've, I've, I look at myself a lot in the mirror, naked, to mm. just make sure everything's still there. <laughs> Where you left it yesterday. <laughs> yes, is that right? Yep, okay. Um, so I've never been afraid. I, I, you know, I've got friends who are like, oh God, never look at myself in the mirror naked. Yeah. Oh God, no, yeah. no, you know. Right, and it yeah. tends to be the older ladies that I speak to that feel that way, actually, um, like in their 70s. And, and it's, I understand it. Mm. I completely understand it. Um, I, but I, but at the same time, <laughs> I never ever ever talk about this. And I, and but I, I was bullied very very badly oh. in school, and so I, and in part, it, it was to do with how I looked as well. And so, because what? Because you're stunning. So uh, what, what, thank you. What, what were <laughs> it they? wasn't how I felt for a very long time and I was the only black yeah. child in my school in my area mm. um it was mainly primary school I learned to hate the skin mm. that I was in and I don't just mean that in the color I mean just like it being in my skin being me mm. was really not my favorite thing for a very long time and I um that actually continued until 2014 yeah. That you didn't like the skin. That I wasn't really. comfortable in my own skin. Okay. And I'm talking in both in both aspects yeah. as a woman and also yeah. as a black woman. Um, and it was just the turnaround was a specific job that I did and still do every now and again, which has just been incredibly liberating for me. And it took a really, really long What's time and at a place um, in London. And it was just so inclusive. And incredibly liberating and very freeing being up on that stage. And I still dip in every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a family there and I love them for it. And, I, and I'm incredibly grateful because it just changed me as a person and changed the way I operated in this world and therefore with other people. How did it change? I guess it's realizing your worth and your importance and your purpose and feeling represented mm. and included in everything, regardless of how I felt before. Mm. Like I remember when I was really, really young, I, I, I remember all the time actually, and I, and I look back and I weep for the little girl that I was, but I'm not that girl anymore. And I know mm. I'm living her wildest dreams, mm. which makes me so proud in that sense. And she used to sit on her, her own a lot, mm. <laughs> a lot. Um, and that just makes me, when I see people, I'm, I'm just very um, aware when I see somebody feeling lonely. Mm. I hate it. And I just want to do whatever I can to help them. So that feel is now your needed. purpose. Yeah. You reminded me of a, a section of my book, a chapter oh, yeah. in my book, A Purposeful Life. It's like finding your purpose. And mm. if that purpose mm-hmm. is to make somebody feel less lonely, then Mm -hmm. that's a really valuable and important Mm -hmm. purpose. So how did you feel when you knew you had to have an operation and your body was going to change? Because you had a double mastectomy, didn't you? I did. Um, I actually 
made the decision because they were saying they could do what they thought they needed to do with a lumpectomy. But I actually made the decision to have the double mastectomy as I was, as I said before, I was crying as I was doing the mammogram. And in my mind, I was like, if this comes back the way I think it's going to come back, I don't care to what extent it is. I want everything gone because I don't want to have to worry. My son is two. And in fact, at the time, my son wasn't even one. Yeah. And, and I just thought, I can't live with that weight on my shoulders and that worry. And and I and I knew that the, it would be complicated with the sickle cell, yeah, um, whatever the surgery. Huge yeah, surgery. Yeah. Did you have reconstruction mm-hmm. or did you have implants? Yeah, they reconstructed straight away uh, silicone implants. They also did uh, a lymph node clearance, so they took seven lymph nodes from my mm-hmm. armpit. Okay. Yeah. They took eight from mine. I'm thinking. Yeah. What do these lymph nodes look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see. Yeah, show me. I want to see what you took out. Um, I think you have 20 something. So I got, don't yeah. quote me on that. Um, Back in the day, mm. as my mum told me, they just took out all the lymph nodes. Right. But now I think as medicines moved on, they, they realized. just take yeah, yeah. bits of it. I think my mum had pretty much all of hers taken yeah. on that side too. And it can cause all kinds of problems. Yeah, yeah that's um, right. But yeah, they did uh, reconstruction straight away, which I'm so grateful for because incidentally, if I'd gone for the lumpectomy, because it's they were, I was diagnosed with DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ, um, which is where there are cancerous cells within the milk ducts. Mm-hmm. I'd had the lumpectomy. Mm-hmm. I would have had to go back in for a mastectomy because when they tested the tissue later, they found microinvasion in the breast tissue and micrometastases in the lymph nodes, mm. which is why I'm now on the medication I'm on, mm. which is tamoxifen, uh, one tablet a day, mm-hmm. and Gocera five, five years. years. <laughs> <laughs> how how is your tamoxifen symptoms oh, treating Lord, you, honestly, <laughs> I just, it's like my body isn't my own. It's, yeah. it's like... The aches, it's the aches more than anything. I'm like, what? I feel like I've, you know, when you get DOMS after you've worked out and a couple of days later you're aching, it's like that. But every day, and I'm like, if I'd worked out and my body looked like it, I'd be really happy. (laughs) But that's not the case. And I feel your pain. Oh, gosh. And then the other drug is Tamox, uh, sorry, is Gocerolin, which also the other name is Zolidex, um, which is an injection um, every 28 days, again, for for five years it's kind of a two-pronged attack they sent my tissue off to the states because apparently dcis isn't supposed to become invasive and so it's a very rare form it makes up one percent of all types of breast cancer so it's called dcis microinvasion and it's not supposed to come come out of that um concentrated area but it did and so they sent my tissue off to the states which was just more waiting Mm. and when it came back they said it's it's a good it's good news and bad news bad news because it's come back a little bit it's like inconclusive we we aren't sure exactly whether chemo is the best way to go but it's good news because the sample was so small the microinvasion is so small that that's why it's inconclusive which is kind of like okay but they because it got to my lymph nodes they weren't sure whether any cells had gotten around the rest of my body mm. so to mop that up that's why I'm on these okay. drugs now right. the only but thing but again mm-hmm. is the early uh, catching up absolutely for those people listening like the lymph nodes basically they're the gateway liquid, to the yeah, body yeah liquid around your body mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. wow and it and you know catching it at that point because it you know it can get to another part of your body and it's 
a very different outcome. Mm. And actually, my diagnosis was October 13th at DCIS. Mm. And by the time the surgery came around, which was December 17th, so eight weeks later, mm. it had progressed because mm. it had, that, that's when the... Imagine if I'd waited Should, those so six months. So imagine if the... Was it the second mm-hmm. who had told me to wait, wait mm-hmm. for six months? Mm-hmm. Then I could have been that stage three, stage four, maybe wow. worse. I don't know. But I'm, I try not to even think about that and focus on that. Because um, mm. this is the importance of catching it early. Catching it early, getting in, getting it checked. And I know nobody, I mean, especially during COVID, it was COVID at yeah. the time. Nobody wants to hear bad news but it's better to hear bad news and do something about it than to have no idea and then they finally catch something that is three stage three stage four there's nothing we can do I'm so sorry you have a few months to live yeah but that's that's literally the difference that it makes absolutely 100% and you're doing a lot of work now aren't Mm -hmm. you advocating for others yes (laughs) and is it a documentary that you're doing yes so we're filming a breast cancer documentary um, it's global, so we're in the States and Africa and the UK. It's called The Naked Truth. And we're looking at, well, we're looking at a lot of things. We're speaking to um, to research teams, scientists, doctors, survival, survivors, their families. Um, we're looking at different types of treatment, the genetic side of things, um, what we're putting on our bodies, mm-hmm. what we're putting in our bodies. In our bodies, yeah. All of it. It's very informative. Like especially sort of black women Mm. and hair relaxers. Mm -hmm. Relaxers, literally. It is. It's causing cancer. It's and and you know there is a massive, massive difference between prognosis for a black woman developing breast cancer Mm. and a white woman developing breast cancer, and it's alarming Mm. how big that gap is. And also in certain countries, the type of treatment and how seriously they're taken. Um, it focuses on the un-African women and mm. the diaspora, um, but it's for everybody because yeah. anybody and everybody can learn yeah. from this. The reason why I'm focusing on that is because all the work that I have been doing up until this point has been here and in the UK. And I feel like at least I can talk about this educatedly because yeah, that's where yeah, my family yeah. are from. Yeah, And also if you get it right, mm-hmm. because when I think my breast cancer, I said they can, you know, use whatever's left to mm. to investigate experiment right. you know find out treatments the fact that you're um able to do that but if it works for black women it'll work for all women absolutely you know I mean? like if we streamline the service if we have a better service if yeah. we understand breast cancer more it will work for everybody everybody so. and men too there's so many men that don't I've even, there are women that don't realize men can get breast cancer, yeah. never mind men yeah. not knowing. And yeah. it's like, it's one in a thousand. Obviously, yeah. statistics change every now and again, but at the moment it's one in a thousand men. And, and it might seem like not a lot, but if you think like a football stadium or, you know, yeah, Wembley absolutely. or something, and it yeah. absolutely is. I know, I I know. Um, my cousin died, male cousin died of breast cancer. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm it so was sorry. such a shock. And he's, his wife, found the lump and said you need to get that looked looked at and he went and had it removed and then and it came back I'm so sorry yeah such a shock so him get breast cancer too Mm -hmm. and it's it's, they're less likely to check and they're definitely less less likely to go to to the the doctors (laughs) (laughs) ain't that the truth oh gosh oh gosh but we I mean we're trying 
we're, we're working still very hard to, it's not, it's not just about raising awareness. It's very informative, I think, mm. with, with the documentary that we're working on and trying to also dispel this taboo that there is about talking about mm. it in certain cultures. Yeah. Not even in certain cultures. I think generations before, even in, I've got, you know, so many, so many of my friends in the UK I talked about the fact that their aunties or grandmas or whatever, they would never, never. They'd be like, oh, she, no. she's just a bit sick. Like exactly. they whisper, oh, she's, she's got yeah, a bit exactly. sick. And it's like, oh my gosh. Not talking, like the, literally the more we talk, the longer we live. It's literally yeah. the strap line for everything I'm doing. That's really great. I like true. that. The more, the more we talk, talk the, the longer, longer we, we live. live. Absolutely. Absolutely. How Ooh, can I'm we not? I'm going to nick that But yeah, because... Because we're just constantly passing on information yes, and right. knowledge, and yes. as we know, knowledge is power, and we can't, we can't possibly not inform the future generations because that's, right. that's right. They're, they're who we're passing everything yeah. on to, and we're we're hoping to carry the torch forward. And we, that's right. you know, and also we're trying to instill hope. So there's life with and mm. after cancer. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the death sentence that we all feared when you know, however many to, years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Late nineties. And so within the documentary, obviously, we're discussing my journey, but also showing the positives as well. So my performance and all of that kind of stuff and my when I'm so what doing mu- sports. What and- music got you through? Because for ah. me, music plays a big role in my life. Mm-hmm. Like in my book, I've got a playlist mm-hmm. at the back of my book, which mm-hmm. has got like all of these tunes, lots of sort of old tunes in there. But music played a huge role in also just settling setting my mind, you know, you're going through breast cancer, you're going through recovery from your operation. I mean, I started writing a book. What did you do? I wrote music. (laughs) (laughs) As I said, it was COVID and it was crazy Mm. times. And and because I'm creative, creative, I needed that outlet. Um, So I was writing music and it was incredibly cathartic. It was like my form of therapy, which I think it always has been. I've been singing since I was Mm. four. And as I said, you know, it was my friend mm. <laughs> when I was younger. But I, I mean, artist-wise, vocally, never been more moved than when I play Whitney. She just, it, there's just something quite superhuman mm. uh, with the way she sings. Mm. Um, but as far as the so strength, you played Whitney. Oh God, yeah. Absolutely, oh, so my favorite. Uh, my favorite album is like, "Annual Baby Tonight." I feel like you could have played Whitney. Like, <laughs> I, th- I think Whitney was great in the movie, but I feel like you could have also played Whitney. Thank I you. Like I mean, she. Uh, I would have been honoured. I would have yeah. been honoured. Her and Tina Turner have been my my best friends when it comes to music and the the grit and determination, the steeliness, the the mm. perseverance, the tenacity that Tina had to get through everything she did mm. is incredibly inspiring. But also it's like, I don't know, I feel like there isn't there isn't a part of me that even though it's a different experience, there isn't a part of me that doesn't identify and that, that doesn't mm. resonate with me mm. in a way. Because regardless of what that adversity is Mm. regardless of what the enemy is you just got to keep pushing and keep going and then the fact that she didn't just push through and survive she thrived and smashed it and became you know what she became exactly that you know we we were homeless at one point and so to be now where I am and where we are as a family I'm just so grateful and 
That's amazing. I'm really proud of us as a family. We're proud of you. (laughs) So to so to to conclude, to Mm -hmm. end this podcast, Mm -hmm. you have to see. You, you have to, you have to, you have to oh, sing gosh. a song. Oh gosh. You have to um, sing a song. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Summertime and the living is easy. Fish are jumping and the cotton is high. Your dad is rich and your mama's good looking. So hush, little baby, don't you cry. Oh my God, you've got such a beautiful oh. voice. I remember seeing you on some show on oh, TV. Uh, Celebrity X Factor. I was like, oh my God, with a voice like that, why hasn't she got albums? And you know what I mean? It was just crazy. So, well, oh, thank we're, you. We're, we're working on it. Good. All right. I'm pleased. Let me know. I'll be in the front row. Thank you. But Victoria, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story with me and also just your amazing tenacity and the way that you've advocated for yourself but others too so thank thank you you so much thank you for having me it's been a pleasure (laughs) (laughs) thank you all so much for listening to mammograms and me the podcast hosted by me dawn butler with metro.co.uk please do leave us a rating and a review on apple and don't forget to sign up for hashtag find the million tell five friends about this podcast and keep listening every week we will have a new episode keep sharing the information that you learned today let me know if there's anything else that you want me to cover this podcast was produced by pineapple audio production thanks again for listening and see you again next week